2015 was the year of prayer. This year is the year of the Word. Both uh, themes are particularly relevant to our church as we look into a new year. There's a passage of Scripture that highlights uh, both themes in a striking way. I'm referring to John chapter 17. If you would meet me there, please. John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Words of our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. Everyone is familiar with the awe-inspiring sculpture of the president at the Lincoln Memorial. But far fewer are aware of a statue in Washington National Cathedral of Mr. Lincoln on his knees in an attitude of prayer. The inspiration for this uh, unique statue, one that was produced from the hand of Herbert Spencer Howe, the inspiration came from his grandfather, Mr. Howe's grandfather, who was one day walking through the fields at Gettysburg. When he came upon Mr. Lincoln on his knees in the leaves. Mr. Lincoln was a man of prayer. John 17 is a prayer, more a conversation between a man and his father in the shadow of impending battle. There are 650 recorded prayers in the Bible. Are you aware of that? 650 of them. This one stands alone. This has been called the greatest prayer ever prayed. This is the Lord's prayer. 26 verses in our English Bible, a beacon of hope for 20 centuries of the church. 
It was read to John Knox at his request every day in the final weeks of his life and uh, at the time of his home going. Thomas Manton, Oliver Cromwell's chaplain a century or so ago, preached 45 sermons from these 26 verses. More recently, a man named Marcus Ransford, an Irish preacher, put his sermons in print, more than 500 pages. What makes this prayer so important? Why am I led, as I believe I am, to to discuss this prayer with you at this juncture? Of our ministry. Well, to begin with, it's a great prayer because of the person who prayed it. Each of the four Gospels has its unique emphasis. In Matthew, Jesus is the King, the long awaited Messiah. In Mark, he is the Gospel, he is the servant in Mark's Gospel. Luke, the beloved physician, presents him as the sympathetic Son of Man. Luke talks more about Jesus touching people than any other writer. In John, Jesus is deity, the Son of God. Almost every verse of this prayer proclaims his divine character. There's the person who prayed it. But this prayer is also great because of the occasion on which he prayed it. Another famous American said, that's one small step for a man, one giant step for mankind. When you think about it, if Neil Armstrong had said that, playing hopscotch with a bunch of neighborhood kids, no one would ever think anything about it. But he spoke it at an historic moment when he stepped from a spacecraft onto the surface of the moon. It's nearly midnight. Our Lord and the eleven have left the upper room where they have celebrated the Passover, passing through the city wall across the Kindred Valley to arrive at Gethsemane where he will be arrested. He said to them, chapter 16 and verse 33, you remember that the verse and chapter divisions of Scripture were added centuries later. He says to them, in the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He didn't look like much of an overcomer at that moment, did he? As his recent teaching and warnings are sinking in, one can imagine the feelings of hopelessness and helplessness as the eleven stare into the expansive stars above them. The word heaven in verse 1, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, may also be translated sky. It's the loneliest moment the eleven could ever remember. He's told them, I'm going away and you can't come. All of their hopes, their dreams, their futures, and literally their lives are pinned upon him. 
allowing a long silence to seal the moment, Jesus spoke these words, lifting his eyes to the sky and said, His prayer pierced the darkness, reminding them that the void of space and the void of their hearts is filled by the presence of God Almighty. Jesus did not face the abuse he was to face. Jesus Christ did not face the humiliation of the cross, depressed or anxious. In the classic passage in Romans chapter 8, after peeling off many of life's experiences, tribulation, distress, remember the list, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, Paul sounds a note of victory. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The the, the term Paul uses in Romans chapter 8 is found only in that verse in the New Testament. It has a prefixed hyper. Literally, we are hyper conquerors through him who loved us. Chuck Colson said it well, for the Christian, despair is a sin. We Christians of all people should be people of hope. Brother George drove us from Alexandria back to, uh, to Cairo. Look at his van. There's something very odd about it as you study it. What is it? Does anybody see it? It is the name Jesus Folks, there were radical jihadists in the neighborhood when I took this photo. Even believers questioned George's wisdom in plastering this on the front and back of his van. But but George says with that grin, he says, Jesus died for me and I will stand for him. (laughs) George is more than a conqueror. Through him that loved us. There's the one who prayed it, the occasion on which it was prayed. It's also a great prayer because of the content of his praying. In this conversation, the veil is literally drawn back. And the reader is escorted by Jesus into the very throne room of God. It reaches in three directions. In 1 through 5, he prays for himself. 6 through 19, he prays for the disciples. And 20 through 26, he prays for future believers. On the night Jesus was arrested, he prayed for you. In this section, 20 through 26... We get a glimpse into his ministry now in heaven. What is Jesus doing? What has has he been doing for two millennia? Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, the writer says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? To find grace and help in the time of need. Literally, the text says, in the nick of time. Anybody there? Anybody there? I was telling Dr. Parvin a moment ago, and I've thought about this, being a mountaineer myself, being raised in a coal miner's family in Wyoming County and a long history in Beckley. I don't remember a time 
when so many and so many of our people are facing economic uncertainty. It has a ripple effect, doesn't it? It has a huge, huge ripple effect. To find grace and help, that's the ministry of the Lord Jesus today. But more specifically, more specifically, what did he pray for? You see this outlined in your listening guide. In verses 1 through 5, there are two imperatives. Glorify your son, commands. Glorify me together with yourself. In the second session, uh, section 6 through 19, there's a second pair of imperatives. Keep them. That's security. Sanctify them. Sanctification. And he prays concerning the word. In the third section, there are two petitions. I pray for those who will believe on, on me because of their word. The disciples' word. Generations upon generations. That's evangelism. And he says... He asked for a second thing. He said, Father, he said, I desire that they be with me. (laughs) That's heaven. That's glorification. I'll drop one net nugget here, and uh, I'm a few weeks ahead in my study, okay? Is this a prayer that the Father will answer and does answer? Put it to you another way. Would Jesus Christ, God's Son, pray a prayer? That was not answered. I desire, Father, that they be with me. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you have a reserved seat around the table in the Father's house when all the children get home. (laughs) After announcing, I have overcome the world, he uses that term... 19 times in this prayer. It's used in several ways in Scripture. First, the the created universe. You see this in verse 5. Before the world was. And again in verse 11. What's he talking about? The physical creation. Sometimes it simply means humanity or the world of people. John uses this. He quotes Jesus Chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world of people. Throughout this prayer, our Lord is referring, as John does in his writings, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, remember, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's not the world of people. That's not the physical world. What is that? He's referring to a system. To society organized without God and against God. Someone said it like this. The world is that collection of men in every age who live only according to the maxims, the common beliefs of their time. Listen to Paul's description of the world in in Ephesians 4. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this. This is the message. 
There is no, there is no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they're, they've lost touch not only with God but reality, reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. That's the world. You say, well, I'm not against God. Jesus cut it very thin, didn't he? He said, either you're for me or you're against me. Each of us is either in Christ or in the world. And in the world is a very dangerous place. It is a place of judgment. There's an interesting story about the Duchess Isabella of uh, France. I'm sure you were reading about her before the service this morning. Did you know how Isabella died? Looks rather depressed, doesn't she? Do you think? She went to a medium who told her, you can have anything that your heart desires, but you've got to kiss. And she named a particular painting. She said, you've got to kiss it every day for a hundred days. Now, Isabella, uh, believing the uh, medium, began kissing the painting every morning. But there's one thing she didn't know. The medium beat her to the room And every morning put poison on it. And gradually the duchess' hair turned white. Her health began to fail. And before the hundred days were up, Duchess Isabella died. We become like what we kiss. Lot kissed the world. The scripture describes the world system in four ways. It is, a dang, it is a deceived world. Jesus talked about that in verse 25. It is a dangerous world. In John's first epistle, the world is passing away. People think society is here forever. Oh, no. It is a defiled world. James said, keep yourself unspotted from the world. And it's a divided world. John again writes, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Through the Son, you notice four things that God offers. To a deceived world, he offers the gift of eternal life. That's verses 1 through 5, reality. To a dangerous world, he offers the revelation of his name, 6 through 12. That's security. And to a world, a defiled world, he offers the gift of his glory, 20 through 26. 13 through 19, that's sanctity. And then 20 through 26, to a divided world, he offers the gift of glory, that's unity. Now, this is a prayer we should pray, isn't it? Because we need the very same things. We need reality, security, sanctity, and unity. I mentioned John Knox, a firebrand who after coming to Christ, became a pastor, the leader of the uh, Protestant uh, Reformation of Scotland and the founder of the Scottish Presbyterian Church. Moses, uh, 
Knox, it's the snow. Knox was a Moses-like figure. He was to Scotland, Scotland what uh, Calvin was to Geneva. In fact, they were friends. Knox lived and preached in dangerous times when one could go to the gallows simply for saying that salvation is by faith, through grace, through Christ alone. Queen Mary, an ardent Catholic, is reputed to have said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Knox pastored St. Giles Presbyterian Church in Edinburgh, Scotland, which for 300 years had been a Catholic church until Reformation fires blazed across Scotland. The day we were there in the afternoon, the, um, the choir was practicing. It was a worship service for this boy from Wyoming County. Have you ever thought about where you would like to be when the Lord returns? Somebody says, alive. <laughs> Me too. Where would you like to be when the Lord returns? I know some of you guys, you want to be in the aisle at Cabela's. I, I know you guys. You know where I would really like to be? I would like to be hanging out on this parking lot of St. Giles, space 23. John Knox is buried at this spot under the pavement. Wouldn't you love to be standing there when that old crusty preacher come, came forth right out of the pavement? Woo, just wow. Only Kevin, Mr. C, and I are excited about that. <laughs> Early on the morning of November 24th, at uh, 1572, Knox asked his wife to read 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection passage when she finished he said honey read to me that chapter where I first cast my anchor she read John 17 and in a bit Knox slipped in to the Lord's presence there's a reason it's called the greatest prayer ever prayed and as we look at it further over the next several weeks, I pray that our God will enable you in these turbulent times, turbulent times, that he will help us to cast our anchor upon it as well. And in casting your anchor, your hopes, I pray that you personally have received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you've never received him, would you this morning just invite him into your life? The scripture says very simply, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation's by grace through faith. You know what folks say to me occasionally, well, you know, I can't live it. <laughs> Whatever the it is, I assure you that you are in good company. 
For the same Lord who went to the cross that we might be saved, it is through his grace that we live for him and glorify him. How about your anchor this morning? I trust it is in Christ Jesus.